This is Toastcaster, podcast for Toastmasters. Your host, Greg Gazin. Episode 82, Reformation, When Districts Get Too Big, with our guest Ken Tanner, past international director and distinguished Toastmaster. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Toastcaster, podcast for Toastmasters. We have a special guest today. We also have a very special subject, Reformation. It sounds like a long and interesting word, but it's something that could apply to you. It could apply to your district. And I think you'll find that this topic will be a lot of fun. Well, we'll make it fun. Our guest today is Ken Tanner, Distinguished Toastmaster, past international director, past district governor. He's been a continuous member of Toastmasters since September of 1975, originally with Big Country in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan in District 42. Now, Ken gave me his profile. It is three pages long. There is very little that Ken hasn't done. I don't think he's been international president, but who knows if that's in the cards or not. But he's been a member of a number of different clubs. He's currently living in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, part of District 99. He's served in many club executive officer roles. Ken was a recipient of a presidential citation in 1994. He was elected to the International Board of Directors in 1986, and He's also served for both years on the Policy and Administrative Review Committee of the Board. He's been a chief judge. He's coordinated nearly 40 success leadership programs. With that, I want to welcome Ken Tanner to the show. Welcome, Ken. Thanks, Greg. What a, <laughs> what a build-up that is. People are going to have a high expectation now. Very, very high expectation. And So today we're going to be talking about Reformation. And I guess just to lead off, Ken, just tell us a little bit about what exactly is Reformation. Reformation comes about for districts that enjoy lots of success and grow and grow and grow in terms of the volume of clubs, the volume of members that they have to serve. At some point, as volunteer leaders, uh, the workload is just so massive and uh, unrelenting that uh, there needs to be an inspection to see, are we serving the members well enough with our volunteer services, the, the people on district that are supporting all the clubs? Additionally, the world headquarters through the board of directors and sends a letter to districts that are approaching large volumes of clubs and used to be 240 clubs it may still be the same saying have you considered looking at reforming into two districts and then leaving it in the district's hands to think it through and see if that's something for their future ultimately to allow the district leaders to provide the service that members expect and clubs require so in essence, you're taking a district that, let's say, approaches 300 clubs, and I'll use a perfect example of District 42 that we were part of, reformed into District 42 and District 99. So in essence, for the most part, you're really splitting a district into two pieces. Into more than one district. And typically when we see this, it's not necessarily that, okay, we take the geographic location, we just split it in two, and you get half and we get half. It doesn't necessarily work that way, does it? I don't think so. I haven't observed that because there's seldom a simple middle-of-the-road dividing line for geography purposes. There's so many factors in trying to figure out how the two new districts will balance out in terms of club count and member count. The district that has to look at that, maybe there's some fairly obvious structural dividing line 
which leaves two new districts that are somewhat equally balanced. Not exactly. That's almost impossible, I'd suspect, but they're somewhat equally balanced. I don't think you'd ever want to create a district, two districts out of one that has, say, two-thirds of the uh, current district going one way and the remaining one-third going another way. You wouldn't do that. And I think there's an expectation that any resulting district have at least 100 clubs. Now, that's the end result, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done ahead of time. And so let's say, for example, you get the letter. Toastmasters International Headquarters says, you know, it's really time to start thinking about this. What happens at that point? Our letter arrived in the spring of 2013 into District 42, and it was a three-year process resulting in July of 2016 when we ended up with two full new districts. So that letter prompted a lot of inner looking, introspection, if you will, to see how could we do that? Because we were hearing from district leaders uh, saying that we're just overwhelmed with administrative work and that we're not having the chance to really be supportive in the way we want. So having to take those thoughts to heart and to pursue, well, how how on earth could we take what we've got and make two districts out of it. Really looking at the geographical boundaries that might be possible, that's one aspect. Looking at what is our leadership base that could be put into action, into place to make two new functioning district teams. Ultimately, you're still going to end up with almost the same number of area and divisions, but it's the the senior leadership that you pretty much have to replicate. So you need a good good depth of leadership to rely on. You were kind enough to provide me with a copy of the final reformation proposal, and it's, it's 18 pages. It's actually quite in-depth. I know for me, I remember, I believe I was part of that, but I remember just hearing about it, how just initially being able to get my head around the idea is that, okay, we're now going to be looking at at splitting into two. And I'm thinking in terms of organization, in terms of planning. Now, you were in charge of the Reformation, I believe. You were the chair of the Reformation Committee? Yes. So did you go out and start putting a team together? How did you start that process going? When the letter arrived to our current district governor's hands at that point, he brought it to the past district governor's committee, Uh, asking us to basically handing it to us and say, could you folks look at this current leadership trio and team of the district has got a lot of other important work to do. And so he came to the past district governor's meeting uh, we had at one of our conferences and brought up the topic because it had arrived in his uh, mail quite shortly before that convention. After that, we decided as a past district governor team to you know follow up on the request of the district governor and start the inspection of it and i happened to be in the meeting and said i'd like to help and then all eyes turned to me and i became chair <laughs> so oops and i quickly assembled an interested group of other past district governors as well as a few of the current district leadership team notably the the top three in the immediate past district governor and then I called upon the current district treasurer also because we realized there was going to be some impact to finances, trying to figure out uh, in many stages of the process how it will affect what the financial resources are for each of the resulting districts. 
So I had a group of volunteers from past district governors, and we sat down and started to analyze it. Uh, we also did some research to f- uh, look around to f- see what we could find out from other districts that had already gone through the process or were in the midst of it. That makes sense if someone else has already done this. Because I'm just thinking about this, looking at the proposal. I mean, in essence, it's almost like putting together a business plan because at the end of the day, you do have to bring this to district council and it has to be approved. Yes. Yeah, the, the stages are that once we researched the topic and decided that, yes, this to recommend that this is something that we think should be pursued, then there's a few formalities. You have to petition the board of directors for permission to assemble a reformation committee. Oh, okay. And once the board approves that, we can form a committee basically to, to do a needs analysis and to see if it's something viable to proceed with or not. Once the board approves that you can actually form a committee to do this, then you've got authority to actually dig into it in detail. Naturally, during that time, we're all thinking about it anyway and proceeding on it in an informal basis, but that's just to determine needs analysis and is this something we really want to go through at this time or is it not? Once we have the the approval of the board to form a, a committee, then we've got the process in place that we can then proceed to build proposals that we can go to district executive committee meetings and talk it out and get the feeling from the rank and file, the officer teams, and we can then proceed to district council with proposals. So you have your committee, you'd obviously have to put down your timelines. There's obviously going to be some costs associated with it. Yeah, we built some timelines in to just figure out what is our our process to to know when we needed to go to the district executive committee to seek uh, formal approvals of some of the proposals, like the geography structures that we uh, dream up and the resulting approval ultimately from district executive committee allowing us to take those same proposals to full district council. And then once we got district council approval of some of our uh, of the proposals, then we are authorized to develop a complete proposal document that gets submitted to the board of directors for their approval. We submitted our proposal in December of 2014, and then the board approved it at their next board meeting, which was in February of 2015. In between times, you just keep working in the background, assume that what you proposed is going to go through in some shape what were some of the activities that, that happened during this process? What were some of the other things? I know you touched upon a few of them. As part of the Reformation Committee that I chaired, we decided early we needed a couple of subcommittees working. One, certainly to look at the boundaries. How are we actually going to define the lines as to where the two new districts would fall out? Where would they be established? And secondly, I had a committee that was going to look after a communications plan because there are so many players in this process from the club member, the club officer, through to the the district governor or district director, depending on the time of the the organization's titling. So we uh, needed a communications plan that would reach everybody. Certainly we had key stakeholders in the district executive committee and the, the current senior trio of the district. We also wanted to make sure we got the word out to everybody. So we had communications plans which we had regular content in all of our district newsletters, be they electronic or print media. 
We had display boards at events, be they like division contests or division meetings. And then we had kind of a question answer panel circumstance or an information session at conferences and other council kind of meetings. So we, the communication plan was vital was just to make sure that we were keeping on track perhaps or that we weren't missing out on some key resources uh, because lots of people have gone through processes in real life, not just Toastmasters world, where uh, their expertise in some of these and dealing with change management and all these aspects or professional expertise was vital to help us out. So definitely some key leadership learnings here. In fact, (laughs) this seems like the ultimate high-performance leadership project. (laughs) Well, actually, I used a segment of the process as a high-performance leadership project because it's such a big and such a long project. One high-performance leadership project that could drag on forever is not something I was looking forward to. So I picked an element of the process that would get the process to the point of getting district council approval you know, there's still another year and a half after that process where it happened. So I had a, my committee, I had an advisory committee, just all the things that a normal high-performance leadership project requires. Yeah, I remember there were a lot of elements. I mean, there were conference calls, there were webinars, and I know I had a couple of personal calls from individuals asking me for, for input. I think we also had, we had a, I think we had a web page. Did we not have a web page that was dedicated to that as well? Yeah, a link off of our off of the district website at that time where we put up uh, the question and answer panel. We had all the reports that I was providing to executive and to council, all the maps, all the options and things. So we had an, an active website as well. Like we had talked to a few other districts that had gone through it, and I was also on the receiving end of some calls, I think, through that website of other districts that were approaching the process. What I really appreciated is the fact that since this change was so huge and it was going to really severely, it severely impacted what the district was going to look like or the districts were going to look like after the fact. I like that there was this always this continuous communication. That's something that often is not only missed maybe in some clubs or some areas or divisions, but also even in some organizations in general where there's huge changes coming through, but yet people are kind of kept in the dark. And when they're kept in the dark, they usually fear the worst. The communications plan we thought was vital in covering all aspects. We thought it was just absolutely mandatory to make sure people knew what was going on in any district that's been a cohesive unit for, in our case, decades, like other districts, you're ripping people apart from long-term personal relationships. So you're putting a dividing line between some sections of the district. And that was really emotional for a lot of people. So you have to address the fact, okay, we're just setting up two administrative units. We're not really ripping you apart from your friendships and your resources. In any large district, you've got so many key supporters and resources that do this, do that, and contribute in untold number of ways. And um, there was great fear that we're going to lose that connection. So we really had to address it, saying we're doing it administratively to ensure that our current district leaders have more time to get out of the email and get out of the administrative and get to the heart of what our organization our organization is and to support people and clubs. It's not like the ship's leaving the dock and everyone's waving farewell. It's more along the lines of, okay, we're in two different places and now let's see if we can find a way to, to bridge across. <laughs> I understand in some districts there's such a fine dividing line that, I guess in theory, one district could be across the street from another district. 
Oh, for sure. I can imagine in some of the large metropolitan areas that you could be looking across the street at a whole different district. And, and just like in many metro areas right now, you're looking across the street at maybe a different area, a different division. I just look at Los Angeles, the Greater Basin, or any large metropolitan area. There, You pick a line and that's just the spot. Our neighbors to the west here in British Columbia, Canada, they had to pick a, a line as well and that went right through the heart of Vancouver where our convention is going to be this summer. My understanding is that's kind of bowl-shaped. Yeah, it follows the Fraser River for a bit, and they use some other geographic structures to help. And we took some lessons from that to try and follow some uh, lines. We didn't fortunately have, fortunately, we didn't have to go through any city centers to make that division. But we had to choose uh, through some advice of the members affected locally of where the line was going to be in some of the smaller centers. We have a, a city halfway between Edmonton and Calgary, which is right in the midst of the two cities. So we, I simply went to them and to their area council and say, which is the most logical center for your clubs to associate with? And they thought about it and they went back and forth a little bit and finally they decided which was most appropriate for them. So they went north into 99 instead of going south into 42. Yeah, that was their choice. There was a cluster of, I think, six or eight clubs that were affected. I think in terms of rationale, I think different districts, I mean, obviously being able to lighten the load for the district officers is one, but I know in District 42, one for us was a geographic size. I actually was just reading through the proposal here, and District 42 covers 1.3 million square kilometers at 255,000 square miles. What does it here? What does it say here? The longest distance between clubs at our extreme ends of the district is a thousand miles. That's huge. I think that's only overshadowed by maybe Australia. I think they have some clubs and divisions that are pretty much spread out, and also travel as well. What were some of the other rationales? Well, you touched on two biggies: the the size, the the sheer geography to have to go, and that our leaders were telling us was starting to affect attendance at district events. The the average distance between our major centers is about a five-hour drive for those that have to drive through gridlock. The physical distance is probably 300 miles, the average distance between our four major centers. And 80% of our clubs in there are in those four major centers. So we were, our leaders were telling us that the, the distance was starting to affect whether or not people chose to travel either for district executive meetings or, or conferences. So that was a bigger part. Just sheer workload was another aspect of it. Our leaders were saying, going back to the support process, they're saying they really didn't have a chance any much more to be proactive. They had to be reactive to situations, which was dwindling the quality of support our clubs were getting. So geographical size, travel, uh, we went through quite a growth spurt over the four years prior to considering reformation. We grew by a net of 40 clubs in four years, and that put a huge strain on the support structures. We knew then that communications were being affected, that coaching and mentoring to clubs and leaders was being um, affected as well. We thought through reformation that we would be able to address some issues of costs to the district and funding our officers to travel to district-based events. 
being able to reduce some crisis management that reactive rather than proactive. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. So when we talk about reducing the workload, we're talking that as, as being a rationale. But if you just flip that around, really that, that really speaks to the direct benefits that the members will receive. If their leaders have less of a workload, then obviously there's more time to spend with them. Yeah. And a couple of additional benefits that were anticipated, we were told to expect these benefits, and now we're starting to realize it, is you open up a whole new leadership team of positions to fill. So you have much more advanced leadership positions for members to aspire to. Mm-hmm. And if you think of speech contests, we had one representative coming out of 300 clubs that went to the world championship uh, semifinals. Now we have, out of the same 300 or so clubs, now we have two people able to go forward. So anyone that's in a speech competition opportunity has greater chances to get forward. Yes, and the competition is fierce. (laughs) Darn right. (laughs) Our district contests, when you have 12 competitors, that's a long sit for competitors and audience. Now if we have six or, say, seven finalists at a district level, that's a really enjoyable contest for all parties to to go through. At this point, July 1st, District 42 reformed into District 42 and District 99. We're, what, 10 months in? Yes. So what, are you, what have you seen in terms of change? What have, you, what have you seen so far? I've seen at the district conference events right now that there's some more creativity happening. There's a, more time for things to happen. You don't have to allocate vast amount of time to speech contests anymore. You're reducing that and allowing more educational seminar session type of events. The awards, I believe they're able to do a little bit more personalization of the recognition. The executive actually has time to plan more meeting time. So there's, granted, it's a smaller audience because there's half the clubs to get delegates attending from. Uh, but So the conference events I'm seeing uh, are being impacted because there's more time to do something other than devote so much, uh, so many hours to speech contest events. The operational events of the, the district, you know, we have new people taking on senior leadership roles. So it's uh, opening up some doors that way that maybe people didn't consider senior district leadership because of the massive workload. They just... If you've got normal family life, uh, a profession, community events, and a huge Toastmasters obligation to administer the district, but now they're stepping forward and they're seeing, well, it's the, the effort there is now more manageable and that they're willing to take on some senior leadership roles. So there hasn't been the big fallout that people had anticipated or the big worry about, oh, I'm gonna, it's not going to work. I'm going to miss all my friends. Oh, we can't do this. I haven't heard that personally. When, you, when it comes down to it, you think the heart of our organization is still the club meeting. Club meetings haven't been affected they, in a negative way. They still operate, and maybe you've got uh, area and local leadership that don't have as many clubs to support anymore, so they can come out and be part of your club or be in contact with your club leaders and offer that support. So at the ground roots of our organization is still continuing, but maybe with a little more evidence of, of chance of support. Back in 2015, when the district passed and said, yes, we're going to be reforming into two different districts, that next year is is quite special in terms of the structure. Maybe, can you share a little bit about that? Certainly. The 
process, once we got to the stage of having submitted our proposal in late 2014, I started into the second stage of the what I called the, the Reformation Project. Getting the proposal submitted is one big task to, to figure out all the things you might want as in two new districts. Then you're moving into the implementation phase. And that's where I, I developed a task list and I worked with our current district director in TRIO at that time to start to think about all the things now that we have to deal with in transition. And I came up with quite a number of items on a task list and we just kept it active on a spreadsheet and keeping it up to date. Right from dealing with you know finances and budget impact, getting our treasurer involved, the annual awards, how, how are we going to treat the, our recognition programs. I'm looking through quickly some conference events that to start planning for. You need to reconfirm how the alignment of clubs into areas and areas into divisions are going to work. Looking at what physical assets exist in the district because now many of those physical assets have to be duplicated for uh, being in place for both districts. So, some fundamentals about technology, the website, uh, do you have email services to membership like an email blast or you have some web conferencing activity, documentation, there's paperwork to keep up to date and we have a procedures document which guides some of our, our methods that we do things in the district. Our nomination cycle for officers gearing up to the two new districts because there's a section for your implementation year where you have one district director, but you have two club growth, uh, two program quality directors and two club growth directors that will, for all purposes, step up in the subsequent year when implementation has been complete. So all of a sudden your trio is a quintet. <laughs> it is. Our leaders called it the super trio, you know, the director and, and four others uh, of those senior roles. The other implementation area was looking at all the existing district committees that had to be replicated. And just because what you have right now doesn't mean that's what the two new districts might decide that they need in the future. So there, you set some stages and you, you begin to carry on life as normal and then as the two districts become their own officially on July 1st of, of your Reformation year, then then they get to personalize it and let things evolve as they naturally will. So it seems like a huge, almost endless task at the end of the day ends up with becoming two new districts and endless opportunities for leaders. Yeah. So how is it decided who gets to keep the old district number and who gets the new district number? That's very clear. Uh, policy and procedure from uh, the organization, from ultimately the board of directors, identifies that of the two new districts, the district with the oldest existing continuously operating club is the district that retains the number. And then the other district gets a new number. And in our case, our request to the board uh, through world headquarters uh, was to ask for a specific number and it happened to be available, and we ended up with 99 being the new number for the northern half of what used to be District 42. And for those of you not familiar with the significance of 99, is, the significance is Wayne Gretzky, his, who wore number 99 and played for the Edmonton Oilers, and who sadly were eliminated last night from the playoffs. But we won't go there. <laughs> 
So, Ken, we've covered a lot of ground, and maybe perhaps could you maybe leave us just with one thought or maybe one tip to people listening or to districts who think that Reformation just might be something that's in the cards in the near future? A single thought. Wrapping three years project into a single thought. Well, focus like we always should in the organization, focus on the member first. Is your process of reformation going to improve the life of the member? Maybe it doesn't improve it in an instantly obvious way, but is the operation of the district going to be effective to ensure that there's support and that there's programs and offerings for your member? That could be the regular day-to-day club member who shows up to do their icebreaker and is nervous, or is it the member who takes on a senior district leadership role and becomes a massive contributor to the life and the health and the vibrancy of your district? That fits right in line with President Mike Storkey's motto of remember the member. Well, Ken, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. And and obviously, you're a valuable resource. And I know how others have helped you. And I'm sure that you'd be willing to help others who are interested in in Reformation. If anyone wants to get a hold of you or has any questions, how can they get a hold of you? Exactly, Greg. I'd be willing to help anybody that's got some questions about the content we introduced. My email within District 99 that people can use is stats at d99tm.org. That's S-T-A-T-S at D99TM dot O-R-G. Ken Tanner, once again, thank you very much for all that you do for the District and for Toastmasters International. It's been a pleasure having you on the show, and it looks like Reformation has been a success and probably look forward to some more of them. It's well underway, and it's hard to believe that we're ending our first year. Things change fast. Thanks, Greg. Once again, this is Greg Gazin. We appreciate you tuning in. Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmaster specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about. And perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time. This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies. A new book by Greg Gazin, geared to ages 8 to 80. Whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, this short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at outsmartingthebutterflies.com.